Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to a very special edition of the Bulls Beat. I am joined by Bulls legend Casey Johnson. I guess maybe not Bulls legend, Bulls reporting legend. I mean, legendary in my mind for sure. Casey, how are you doing? Uh, other than uh, the uh, overstated title, I'm doing quite well. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Doug. I appreciate it. it. It reminds me every time I go on someone else's podcast, I get introduced similarly. Uh, for whatever reason, Fred Pfeiffer always makes up these these crazy nicknames for me, and it is incredibly embarrassing uh, every time it happens. So I should I should probably respect that, but still a legend a legend to me. My you've actually been probably the most frequent guest on my show. Uh, which shows how often I have guests since I think we've done this maybe eight total times across the past 10 years, but I'm uh, super psyched to have you. The uh, biggest news, I guess maybe we'll start with, I had a list of questions for us, but the biggest one, Kobe White out four to six months. Uh, how do you think this impacts the Bulls offseason? Do you think they'll be more aggressive in uh, searching for a point guard with Kobe White potentially missing some of the beginning of the season? Um, I would think not. I mean, I think we all kind of knew that they were, you know, targeting some, uh, guard depth or guard starting quality players, uh, even before this injury, I wrote at NBCSportsChicago.com. you know, obviously as management, you've got to balance long, big picture with, with, um, you know, short-term needs. And in this case, they kind of align, you know, because you got a big picture need there and now you've got a short-term need there, but I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it really changes their approach that much because it was on their radar. It sounded like anyway, and something from the people I talked to that they were planning on addressing. And, you know, I mean, he is going to be back at some point, obviously, if the rehab goes well. So um, I just don't think you, you know, I don't think you can uh, overpay somebody just because of this injury. I think you just got to stay with your process go after the people you identified and then, you know, whoever makes the most sense financially and fit wise, you, you, you go with that. And with the knowledge that Kobe will be back as part of, you know, the guard rotation, hopefully in November or December. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And I was going to present to you a plan of why point guard is not that important for the bulls this off season. And now this one uh, maybe changes my outlook on that slightly, but I'm going to still present the plan a little bit later. I thought you tweeted uh, earlier today uh, that uh, Paul George has similar injury and almost to the day and came back November 14th, which would put us, I don't know, I'd, I'd guess maybe 10 games into the season. I think the NBA announced the, the kickoff was going to be October 19th and they're going to be back on the normal schedule this year. Uh, so not a whole lot of time missed. And I guess I agree, maybe not then uh, the biggest uh, change in your plans. Have you, have you gotten to get a good feel for what you think the the new front office is going to do? I know it's a little different this year for you to not actually be around the team as much due to COVID and not get to kind of form some of those personal relationships. Uh, I, I don't know if you've gotten to really sit down and talk to Mark Eversley or Arturis much to, to kind of get any feel for what these guys are doing or if, uh, kind of feels from my perspective, they play things very close to the vest uh, in general. Do you, do you think like as, as, a, as a reporter, you have a feel for what they'll do this offseason? Well, I mean, my approach really, because I don't have long-standing relationships. I did. I think I told you last time I was on. I did know Arturis uh, a, a little bit before the Bulls hired him. I, I didn't know Mark Eversley at all. And you know, yes, we we the casual opportunities to form relationships and and trust are are gone. Were gone by the wayside last season. 
I think I've talked to Mark Eversley three times in my life and all on Zoom. You know, Arturis, uh, it's been a little a little bit more opportunity just here and there. Uh, but you're, you're absolutely right in the sense that this management team likes to play things close to the best. So even if you did have built up that relationship, it's not going to do you much good. But, you know, obviously I've been doing this long enough where I have enough people around the league that I talk to and, and some of those people – you know, might have conversations with these people. So I get kind of a general idea or, or, or sense of what they plan to do, you know, not to the nth degree, but a general idea. And, you know, it's funny, you're going to say you're going to make the case not needing for a point guard. I think we're partially in agreement there. I would make the case you don't need to overpay for a starting point guard, but I do think you need uh, another guard in this, um, you know, rotation that can be a, a little bit more of a facilitating mindset, maybe a combo guard, um, and then you're running him, whoever that person is, Kobe and Zach out there, kind of stagger, you know, playing those three to split up the backcourt minutes. And that's not really too much of a knock on Tomas Sadoransky because that's, how, you know, in theory what he was supposed to be. But I think it's pretty clear he's proven he's, you know, a $10 million a year backup, and I just think you can probably do a little bit a little bit better than that um you know there is there would be some sunk costs obviously involved in that if that's the the, the route you choose to go where you, you wave Sadoransky and try to upgrade a little bit um so I think we're probably going to find more common ground on the guard situation than uncommon ground but um you know and I know I'm all over the place here because another thing that I would say but no nothing I would say, would say is I think Kobe got better once Vucevic uh, showed up and yeah for Bill sure Donovan, Billy Donovan said that ad nauseum as well so um, so that, that's kind of my long winded answer, but I, I just have heard from enough people that I talked to around the league that have a sense of what the bulls are going to do that I, it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious that they are focused on trying to add a guard this off season, you know, who that is and what price it is. I, I, I don't know the particulars of that. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to something you said on, uh, I can't remember if it's the most recent bulls talk, or if it was maybe maybe two episodes ago, but you guys were talking about who's going to stay this off season. And uh, you, you had like a pretty long list of people who are going to stay. If I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Zach, Vooch, uh, Kobe, Pat. I, mean, I think everyone agrees. Those four people are going to be here regardless. Uh, you had Aminu, Thad, Sato. And I'm trying to think if, uh, if there's anyone else you had on your list. Um, maybe you could jump in. Is that, was that kind of it? Uh, or Brown, Troy Brown. Yeah, we had Trevor. We had nine. I, so I don't know if we're up to nine. We had nine. And I would probably kind of waffle a little bit on Sato now at this point. So I might be down to eight. But yeah, we had nine coming back. Um, and I know we're going to get into like the over the cap or under the cap yeah. situation. So That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. <laughs> you th- you yeah. think we'll go uh, over the cap or you think we'll stay, go under the cap this, well, this offseason? You know, this is a this is an obvious start, starting point for that answer is that, you know, I think part of that will be determined by what happens June 22nd, because if you're adding a guaranteed first round salary, you know, that may change yeah. things. You know, if if it's if the percentages play out, you know, the 80 percent chance that you're not adding a first round guaranteed salary, I think you have more flexibility in making that decision. If you're adding the guaranteed salary, I think it's almost probably guaranteed they're going to operate as an over the cap team. Um, if they, you're not adding that first round salary, you do have that choice. I, we, we, you just kind of gave me a heads up what we're going to talk about. We have not discussed what we, what we would do. And I don't, I'll be curious to see if we find common ground here. I personally would probably operate as an over the cap team. Um, I think you have an opportunity to bring back because I mentioned before, part of it is a sunk cost aspect. I mean, unless, you know, if you're waving Sato and fad, 
um, you're still paying them something. Um, Thad played at such a high level last year. You know, I would personally bring him back. And I just think, you know, this team is pretty far away. So I think you need to start chipping away at this and you can use exceptions to kind of chip, chip away to kind of start filling some of your needs. One of them would be wing depth. Um, you're going to need to obviously have a big man plan, especially if Tice leaves in free agency. So given how many needs they are, I think, um, I think rather than carving out cap space to pursue one big ticket item, I think it probably is smarter to operate over the cap, get one more season, hopefully of an effective fat young and, uh, kind of chip away at this using some exception signings. Yeah. And, and so here's my thought. I'm, I'm an over the cap guy and here's, here's how I would lay out the roster and what I would do with this off season. Uh, I keep Kobe, Levine, Temple, Sato, Brown, Williams, Aminu, Thad, and Vooch. And, and maybe Temple was the guy we didn't mention. And, and the reason I keep Temple is because I don't think anyone's going to offer him two years. And then you can offer him 120% of his current salary without using any of your exceptions. So it's kind of like, yeah, if you think he's a valuable player, and I think he was valuable last year, then you can kind of add him without impacting anything else you can do. So he makes sense to keep from that perspective. Uh, and then Sato, I just feel like, you know, which is non-guaranteed, it's like $5 million and he's getting paid 10 million. Like I don't think getting 5 million in cap space is going to be able to transition you into another player as good as he is. And then if you stretch him now, maybe you get that down, but now he's on your books for three more years and, and maybe that's not a positive. So if I go with that and I look at what's on the roster and I've got Levine, uh, Kobe, Temple and Sato and Brown and kind of in my point guard through small forward positions, I got Williams, maybe it was a small forward, power forward. I don't know if you can count on Amino to do anything at all. But if so, he's probably mostly a power forward. You got that is maybe 25 minutes at power forward and you got Vooch at center and no backup. You know, I'm looking at that and I'm like, man, my big man rotation is, is basically non-existent. It's like Thad, Vooch and Williams when he plays big. And my guard rotation and wing rotation is kind of like five guys who I feel all could be guys who play minutes and Levine would probably play big minutes. And then I think, you know, with Vucevic on the team now, uh, he's going to have the ball a lot. Zach's going to have the ball a lot. You know, a lot of this feeling that we needed this creating point guard was was sort of anchored to when we had Wendell Carter there in that hub position, and he wasn't as effective as Vooch clearly is. You know, and, and I like Wendell Carter as a player, but obviously Vooch is on a whole different level. That's why we made the trade. And, and so that point guard isn't going to have the ball nearly as much as he would have with this team as constructed prior to the trade deadline. At that point, a point guard would have come in and made a huge difference, but I just don't see a point guard handling the ball as much. And now I see us going to the offseason. If you're not able to keep Daniel Tice, and I think that's where things really swing. If you're not able to keep Daniel Tice, which I don't think we would, then uh, you really need a lot of help in the front court. Like you're going to go down to just vet minimum players that are going to play like 30 minutes a game the way the roster is currently constructed, I think, and, and that you're going to have no depth if there's an injury. Uh, so you'd really be counting on a lot on these sort of like low, low rung players. If you shoot your whole load, trying to get, you know, the best point guard you can. And you know, if we were getting a Chris Paul, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe agree with that. I just don't think that that option is kind of on the table. So that's, that's sort of where I'm coming from. Um, and I don't know if you, how you feel about maybe that argument towards uh, how we need a point guard now versus how we needed one prior to the deadline. No, that, that, I think, like I said, I think we probably find more common ground than, than uncommon ground. But I mean, I, I just think, you know, I think a, a, a smart, like combo guard player that can shoot and pass uh, just fits right now. And I, and I think there's a way to, to get that done. I mean, um, you know, uh, obviously like a, 
Spencer Dinwiddie is one name I've thrown out there. Uh, I don't know what his situation is going to be with his player option and his health, but and he might be expensive, but I, I don't think he'd be as expensive as like Alonzo Ball or Dennis Schroeder, two, two names that I personally would not, you know, use up all my 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 money if that's a if they choose to go the cap space route you know so um you know another name I float out there and obviously his situation's a little bit dicier because Dallas kind of is in the driver's seat but Jalen Brunson is a player um that I think would really fit uh well um you know they've got priority to resign Tim Hardaway there um so you know that'd be a situation I'd keep an eye on as well I mean th- those are the kind of players I think fit Another name would, would, who I, that I speculated on that's unrestricted that I just think this is what I'm talking about, like guys that fit right now is uh, T.J. McConnell. So I, I personally – so, I, again, I think we you, – you think it's like no need at all because of all those players. I, I think adding a guy like that that can kind of play two positions and, and upgrade you a little bit, I think just um, – I, I think is the right move for this summer. But we'll see how they – you know, this is not my decision. It's their decision. Yeah. yeah. Actually, and I wouldn't say there's no need. I, I, I mean, I agree there's a need. I just think when I look at if we enter the next season with uh, Thad Vooch and and Pat Williams as the only like big men on the roster, I feel like you you really have a large need there that people are just ignoring. And if Troy Brown or Pat Williams is your only small forward, you also kind of have a need there. Um, like there's, I guess in the end they just have a lot of needs. You know, like they yeah. got, they got a lot of needs, and it's going to be difficult to fill them with the cap room they have. So I, I view the point guard as a smaller need, but I, I totally get why, because it's been such a pain point the last few years, why, why everyone is very focused on it for sure. Uh, one thing I'm going to throw out there, I've, I've put together a numbered plan. Everyone loves numbered plans. The 2010 plan, the 2013, plan, it was a 2014 was the mellow year, I think the 2014 plan. And uh, so I've come up with the 2022 plan uh, and, and it's only a year away, which is not so bad. So uh, let me know if this is just entirely insane. You trade uh, Aminu and Ryan Archie Diacono for Ricky Rubio. Uh, maybe you throw in some cash. And I think Minnesota does that because they save $10 million. And if they keep their pick, they'll actually be in the luxury tax. So this would get them out of the luxury tax. And I think that's why they would consider such a trade. Rubio expires this year, so he has nothing to the books. Uh, you decide no one else who extends past one year. You keep kind of the guys, we, all the guys we suggested, of which uh, Temple, Sato, Brown, Thad, all expire. Enter next year with $42 million in cap room, which is just enough to sign a 10-year vet max deal, of which Kawhi Leonard and Bradley Beal would be the two guys I would consider targeting. Beal, not because I think he's a great fit, but because I think he'd actually come. He loves Billy Donovan and has that prior relationship with him. And then it'd just be a total talent play, even though I... I Agree, Beal and Levine would be somewhat redundant. And Kawhi, because it sure doesn't look like the Clippers are going to go anywhere. And maybe, maybe he decides that this just isn't the place and he's, he'll be available. And then he would obviously, you would take Kawhi if you can get him. There'll be other guys. I think Harden, Durant, and Irving are all also potentially in that mix. But, you know, if they, they play well together, it's unlikely that that threesome will, will break up and maybe they'll just, just stay together. So I don't really anticipate them being available. But there'll be a number of targets out there. And when I try to think about like what takes this team from where they are to like a team that could actually contend and like really contend and not just be like a fringe second round team. Like I feel that type of move, even though it's extraordinarily high risk, like you could just walk away with nothing, which we've seen happen. Uh, it, it's the type of move that could actually be successful and get you somewhere. And I'm not sure signing like Lonzo ball or Dennis Struder, like you suggested, or, you know, kind of like the other options we're, we're tossing around. And I, I think they're all viable options to make the team better this year. I'm not sure that those options 
are, are going to leave you with room to then make the next step of going from say a first round exit team to like a, a real contending team. Yeah. I've always liked Rubio and I, I actually think that's a, it is an intriguing trade idea. So that's one, I mean, a lot of trade ideas that I get that cross my radar, I kind of summarily reject, but I, that, that, <laughs> one, that one's an intriguing one. And I do like the plan of, you know, uh, you know, kind of angling towards more cap space in 2022. I, I have written in a mailbag because I, that talk is already out there on the league that, you know, it's speculative for sure. I'm not based on a reporting, but it, you, you just hear, you know, people speculate, Hey man, I wonder if the bulls are, are trying to make a run at Bradley Beal in 2022. That's something I've heard from two different uh, people uh, in conversations I've had. And that's why I floated it in a mailbag. And I, you're right. I mean, he may not be the perfect fit, but he's certainly a talent grab. And he is something that conceivably you can see coming here because of the Billy Donovan connection. And look, just in general, that, that kind of gets to a larger point that is one that we've been making. And I'm sure you've made as well uh, since the arrival of this new regime is just kind of, you know, the relevancy aspect of getting the bulls back to relevancy and, and the, the, the role that the new regime is going to play in that, you know, between our tourists and Mark Eversley and Billy Donovan and just, you know, the relationships they have around the league and uh, the connections they have around the league and the way they, they are regarded around the league. I mean, I think in that sense, you have opportunity here. And look, this is this summer and the next summer are really critical ones to building out this roster because you have started the clock on your plan now by the Vucevic trade. And this summer, you certainly have an opportunity to, to flip over a lot of roster spots if you so choose. Or you could be a little bit more conservative this summer and then pour, peg it towards 2022. But either way, within you know one to three seasons, you're going to see a substantially different team than than what they inherited. You already have seen that with the with the trade deadline moves. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, this summer and next are, are big ones for for the new regime. Yeah, I think that's the the tricky thing is if you try to save room for 2022, like the the big risk is Zach is an unrestricted free agent that year. And if you don't impress him enough in 20, uh, in this next 21, 22 season, then he can also just walk away, which is why it becomes this amazingly high leveraged, uh, situation. You either end up with like Levine and Kawhi and, and Vooch in a new core that, that lands you somewhere amazing. Or you also risk Levine saying, man, these guys didn't do anything. I'm just going to go leave and, and go somewhere else. And, and then you, you really end up with, with almost nothing. So it's a, it's a high risk play. And then, it's interesting to me going the, the shorter route of saying like, you know, like even keeping a guy like Daniel Tice, you know, if you operate over the cap, that doesn't really hurt you so much. You keep Tice, you sign, say someone like TJ McConnell using your mid-level exception uh, or, or maybe Spencer Dinwiddie could be had for that, but you get someone like that up to and the team is definitely better next year, but then now all of a sudden you're not at the luxury tax, but you're not so far away from it. And you don't have any money. You don't really have high picks coming in and you start looking around, like how do you make the next move? And it's, you know, it's really difficult to see that transitioning uh, anywhere. Uh, one thing I want to ask about is uh, Larry Markkinen, you know, I think Arturis's comments around him, or maybe it was Billy Donovan's, I forget, was, he was an important part of the team and sort of this, uh, what I took of a grain of salt you know, kind of comment you make to the media or the fans to say like, yes, of course we like this guy because who knows what happens. But they don't, they don't really like Lowry, right? There's, there's no chance he's really coming back. Or, or do you think, do you think they actually do like Lowry and he might be in a Bulls uniform next year? 
Well, I've floated out. This is a long shot scenario, but with the one scenario where I can see um, Lowry in a Bulls uniform next year, um, and look, you, you you nail it. I mean, their their public comments and public stance on Lowry completely contradicts you know what has happened, uh, you know, on the court. I mean, he's a reserve, right? So you can say whatever you want about calling him an essential part piece or what have you. I mean, you know, you made a determination that you can't start alongside Vucevic, and Vucevic isn't going anywhere. So, uh, yeah, I like most people, I expect Lowry to, to most likely be somewhere else next year. But the one scenario I can see him returning is, you know, and we saw this happen not fully with the Miritich situation, but uh, uh, similarly, um, you know, where, where you go out in the restricted free agent market, don't like what you see. And in Miritich's case, he came back and signed, you know, a, a small deal. Um, you know, in Lowry's case, it's a risk, you know, but he, I can see him going out and not liking the restricted free agent fits and the Bulls not finding a signing trade option and, and him playing next year on the qualifying offer to enter unrestricted free agency in 2022. I think it's a small percentage chance, but you, you never say never in this league, right? Things, things unexpectedly can happen as you kind of go through your, your process of your offseason. So, um, but yeah, I, I think like most people, I expect Lowry to be elsewhere next year. Yeah. I actually, with my plan, the 2022 plan, one of the thoughts I had on that too, was just offer Lowry a one year, $20 million deal, you know, and just the, like, Javari, way, the, the Javari Parker special. Yeah. It's, saying. it's way better than what he, I mean, it's probably more than he's going to get, uh, you know, as the starting year and you don't care. Cause you just, you know, he's going to be gone the year after that, but he, he helps make your team better, right? Like for one year, Lowry versus not having him. It's kind of like the Temple situation as described. It's not like you could use the money elsewhere. You could still use a one-year MLE deal on someone. You could still use, uh, you know, your one-level biannual exception, and you still have the vet min. So, so Lowry is just a pure positive in that perspective, even if he's on the bench, and you know, just offer him a large deal, maybe with a team option in case he blows up, and uh, is amazing. And then you, you you go with that, and then that helps uh, you know improve your team for this next season while you're trying to convince a star player that hey, the, the Bulls could really be a place if you come. We got a couple stars here, and you know, we won 44 games, 45 games, and, and you know, you hope something like that happens. And then Kawhi Leonard says, yeah, and if I'm there, you know, this, this team is really going to be something. Um, you know, that, that would be the other scenario I could see, see happening. I would think he'd do better than the qualifying offer, but like you said, you never know. If uh, he does get a contract offer, you know, to him for say, like it's four years and uh, 48 million, you know, 12 million a year or four years and 50 million, do you think the Bulls would consider matching something like that? Like now you're you're kind of like at like fringe starter, high paid backup kind of money. You think they would match something, or you think at even at like twelve to fifteen million they'd let him walk? Uh, well, twelve to fifteen million is a pretty big range. I mean, so you're you. I mean, the one the one scenario you threw out was forty eight, and then now you're up to four sixty. So that's a pretty significant difference, I think. Um, so I, to be honest, I don't have a great feel on that. I think. Yeah, I mean, if it's four years, 48, that's that's hard to let an asset walk for nothing, you know. Um, but then that, you know, that that limits what you can do moving forward for sure. Right. So, um, you know, uh, I my sense is that Lowry is going to get, in, in, you know, an offer in the four to 60 or higher range. Um, so I think it's going to be a mood point and you're just going to be looking at trying to salvage some sign and trade situations. But, um, yeah, I mean unpredictable unpredictable things can happen in free agency it's it's hard to make a firm yeah. prediction on that it is and, such yeah. a zero-sum game right like it's just yeah. as the money gets tied up <laughs> then 
you know, it's either, either it gets all tied up and there's none left and, and some people are stuck with nothing or there's extra money and then guys just get thrown ridiculous offers because it's, you got to spend it on someone. For hundred percent. And one, one last point I want to get back to about you with your one-year plan and, and keeping the, the powder dry for 2022 and, and the risk it would involve in Levine. It, one point I did want to make is look, and that's, that's really where you got to do your work as a managerial team. You've got to have a feel for that and you got to know where Levine stands on things and how committed he is. I mean, I, I've done some, you know, background on that myself and my sense is that he's fully committed to this regime and he's really, really excited to be coached by the same coach for two straight seasons. And he really likes and respects Billy Donovan. So, and look, I know unpredictable things can happen. Like, uh, Kawhi Leonard's free agency over the years is, would be a prime example of that Paul George would be another one where you, you know, trade for a guy and then all oh, things change and all of a sudden he's, he's gone. Right. Uh, but, um, you know, as far as the risk factor of it from 2022, that my point is like, that's, that's on management. You've got to figure that out and, and have a good sense on that and feel for that as you plot out your moves between now and then. And, and, uh, uh, Again, my, my sense is that Levine is pretty fully committed here. Um, so we'll see how that plays out, though. Right, I, I want you to settle two super long-standing debates for me as best you can. We'll, All right. we'll see how it goes, and then I'll, I'll let you get out of here and enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, seems, seems like a great day outside. Um, first is uh, going back to the 2003 draft in the way back machine. Uh, I'm going to ask you to, to remember there was – potential idea that the bulls are going to trade up from seven to four and they refused to do so because they wouldn't include Danielle Marshall in such a deal. And, uh, you know, some people feel this was absolutely a fact that the bulls just wouldn't move from seven to four over Danielle Marshall. And some feel this was just, it was just a kind of like a reported rumor that was out there and, but not really any substance to it. Uh, what do you think? Did the bulls have that opportunity and turn it down or, or did, uh, is that just something that is uh, kind of a myth now? Well, it's funny because I was very plugged in on that story, but I actually quite can't remember the particulars right now. So I just remember being very plugged in on that story. And I do remember whether I reported at the time or found out after the fact that the, the st status of those talks was overstated. Like it was, it, to, so I guess long story short, it was not a Daniel Marshall away from a, a Daniel Marshall refusal that, that blew up that deal. It was kind of just, they couldn't find total common ground. So, um, so both fans can stop hating on Daniel Marshall, I guess. Would be my <laughs> point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't think any, anyone on the, the bull side would be, be upset. Uh, all, all it's one of those things that people are very critical of, uh, maybe the previous regime and they'll, they'll come up with these stories of like stuff that happened. I'm like, I don't remember that happening that way at the time. Like maybe I'm, I'm crazy, but I don't, I don't remember that. And then you try looking it up and it, it Anyway, uh, and then the other one, and in, in, was it now? I think it's the 2018 draft, uh, the Luka Doncic draft. Uh, if the Bulls had moved up, like, do you have any feel for who they liked in that draft? Like, if they just had won the lottery, if they were like, do you have any idea what their draft board was? That, I'm just curious if one of the things, like, did they like Luka? Would they have maybe taken him if they were number one, two, or three? Uh, you're, you know, a lot of people are a little polarized on him. Did they like Trey Young? Or do you just really not have a lot of feel for who they would have targeted if they were higher up? No, I had I had a feel, and they were pretty they were pretty focused on uh, big men, and they they did like Bagley, um, you know, but they were pretty certain that the, he was going two. Um, so I, I mean, obviously, if you're saying one, two, or three, I don't know what their 
I don't know where Doncic ranked in terms of that. They did like Trey Young. They obviously had him in for a workout. Um, and, you know, even even the pick, and this is the Wendell draft, right? Yes, all the drafts run together for me. You know, even the pick came down, even though they were focused on bigs. Another, another name I know they like is Jaron Jackson. And look, they had great intel on him because Jaron roomed with Hoiberg's son at Michigan State. Um, and so they knew him really well. Um, so they did ha- have some trade talks. I remember reporting, I was at the Tribune at the time, they did have some trade talks to move up, and I believe that Jaron Jackson was their target because they were pretty sure they weren't getting up to one or two. Um, so, and the Luca Trey stuff, um, you know, was pretty well down the road in terms of those teams talking the Mavericks and Hawks, but even coming down to the pick and I, again, I'm, I know I'm all over the place here, but um, getting down to the pick, even though they're focused on bigs, that internal debate went down to the end between uh, Wendell and, and Colin Sexton. There was a, there was a pretty vocal, uh, uh, fan of Colin Sexton in the draft room as well, but ultimately they they went with uh, with Wendell, and and that just kind of aligns with where their their main focus was on bigs in terms of Bagley, Jaron, and um, Wendell. But they were intrigued by guards too because they like Trey and um, they like Sexton. Um, I didn't get really a great feel on where everyone stood on Doncic, um, uh, but you know I do know that there were some. There was some uh, internal debate about him, but it was pretty clear that that the that um, the Mavericks were targeting him and, and trying to trade up to get him, which they did. Yeah, I guess it, it maybe makes me feel a little better that we didn't tank in 2018. I think that it was a year and uh, end up with a number two pick only to take Marvin Bagley and uh, have Doncic go number three. That that would be absolutely heartbreaking right now. Uh, yeah. They threw a pass on him. I'm glad, I'm glad I don't know for sure that we would have done that. It would, would, have, would have hurt my heart too much. Um, but uh, no, thank, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a wealth of knowledge. Uh, love, love chatting with you. And uh, I guess there's no one who listens to this podcast that doesn't know where you are or how to find you, but tell them anyway. Oh, I'm on that uh, NBC Sports Chicago dot uh, com. We, uh, my colleague and I, Rob Schaefer and I, uh, who's a fantastic, bright young talent, um, churn out as a lot of stuff as much as we can. So that's our, the main thing. I, even though I occasionally uh, get on that TV thing now, I still consider myself a writer and reporter at heart. And we have a podcast. Uh, if, you know, when you're done with this one, go check out the Bulls Talk podcast with. Uh, with Jason Goff and, and uh, Rob and myself. And then uh, Twitter, I don't know. If you, if you don't know where I'm on Twitter, then just, you know. <laughs> but, I know, it's Casey J. Hoop. Go, yeah, go. there you go. Twitter, <laughs> Twitter you know, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's Twitter. Uh, it's, uh, there you go. But thank you for having me, Doug. It's always good talking to you as well. And uh, uh, let's do it again sometime. When, maybe we'll do it when, uh, when, uh, when they sign uh, – when they sign TJ McConnell or trade for Jalen Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> when the predictions come through, we'll have you back to, uh, to tell you how right they are. And if I go with the 22 plan, then I expect you to invite me onto the bulls talk to, to, to break it down. It's a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Casey. Thank you.